I definitely had a lot of that, like you have to be good to be lovable kind of conditioning and good was a very small window of things from just like growing up in the church and like a lot of, even growing up a dancer, I grew up dancing and like, you gotta be perfect. You gotta be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. So money was just another way that I could be like, I will be the most moral, pious version of myself and then I'll be loved. And unfortunately you can't run a business doing that. So I had to get over (laughs) a lot of my crap. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, I'm Jen and welcome back to Now What. I'm Tisha and we're going to be joined today by Emma Aaronzeller, who we connected with through a Women in Podcasting page and she um, has agreed to be on the show and we're so excited for you to learn a little bit more about her and hear her story. Um, Emma, can you just start off by just telling us a little bit about you and what you do and then we'll delve in. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Tisha and Jen. I am so excited to be here. Um, A little bit about me. I am a Raleigh, North Carolina native and the crux of what I do is simplest way I can put it is helping people be happier being themselves. Normally, I find myself working with women, often in their 20s, who are just kind of sick of all the things that society, their parents, the world has been telling them that they're supposed to be and help them learn to live by their own rules instead. And I do that through life coaching and hypnosis. But my journey here, it's been very, it's very unexpected that I ended up here. But I guess not that all surprising at the same time. I have a background in nonprofits, public health, and um, landed me in the self-help sphere. So I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So you kind of like come from a place of service, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That was really huge for me growing up. I thought I was going to like save the world through nonprofits and maybe one day. But right now I'm channeling my service and my love for that in a way that actually can like fill me and not just leave me burnt out and dry, you know? Yeah. Mm. I feel like, I mean, I've never worked in nonprofits, but that just seems like a lot of wheel spinning. It is. It is. And originally, so like I just mentioned, like I have my own business doing coaching and hypnosis, but I originally started my business trying to do this whole like nonprofit burnout consulting because I was so bitter that I had been burnt out so many times in nonprofits. Um, But it's just, there's so little resources for so much work. Like it's just the literal formula for burnout is in the nonprofit world a lot of the time. I mean, not (laughs) always, but that was my experience. And then I had to say, bye, can't, can't do that anymore. Body won't let me. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. So why don't you, I, I, feel like based on just your application to be on the show, I lived a little bit vicariously. Not that it was all a happy story, but like, it's like oh, I wish I could die. Even if it, <laughs> even if it turned out that way. Um, so <laughs> why don't you uh, take us a little bit through what kind of led you to where you are now? Yeah. So if we hit like the double rewind button a few years back, really this whole journey of self-acceptance, you know, self-help, the whole shebang started a few years ago when I decided I want to study abroad in Thailand. And now I don't know if y'all remember in the college days when a lot of people would go study abroad, but I don't know. I just always had friends who went to Europe and they made all these 
best friends and they were always having so much fun and drinking and traveling. And it was like so amazing. And so in my mind, I was like, all right, we're about to do this for four months. I was always used to taking like 18 credit hours, like doing the most, doing all this volunteering. And I was like, while I'm here in Thailand, I'm going to take 12 credit hours. I'm going to do the least and I'm going to have a ball. Like I'm just going to live this, I guess, party girl life. And t- I don't know really what I was thinking. I just You're going to have the time of your life. I'm going to have the time of my life. Okay. Show up in Thailand. And I also, to preface the story, I had just started dating my first like serious boyfriend at the time. So show up in Thailand and, you know, things are going okay, but it's like really hard for me to make friends. And I'm not the most outgoing person at a party, but normally, you know, in a group, I'll make my friends. And that just wasn't happening for me. So I started to get kind of lonely. And thankfully at the time I had this boyfriend and we would talk all the time. And, you know, I was like, well, I still have him and it's good, but I was Was really lonely. Was he in Thailand with you or no? Well, oh, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, okay. so, that's, that's part of, that's part of the now what that happened. Um, I know I'm trying to like abridge the story as best I can. No, no, that's okay. I get really lonely in Thailand. I didn't have a lot of great friends and um, there were some awesome people there, but I was just kind of going through it. And so a friend who was like a secret Santa for me um, that December before I left had gotten me a journal. And I think it said like, not all who wander are lost on it or something kind of corny like that for someone about to go travel. But it was a thick, thick journal. Um, So I started journaling a lot and I kind of started to put some pieces together of like things in my childhood that I didn't realize were hurtful or like that happened that I was like, oh, like actually I have a lot of emotions around that. I should dig deeper. So kind of started to like unwrap some layers around me. But yeah, basically I'm really lonely. Eventually, you know, this boyfriend I had came to visit and I was like, this is going to be the highlight of my time in Thailand. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to travel all these places. It'll be great. I have a friend here. It's awesome. He comes and it turns into this whole drama thing with him. And it's just another moment where it's like, I thought I was going to have the most amazing time and I'm sunk a level deeper into like, exploring your emotions, exploring what's right for you, exploring, you know, like how you feel and learning to stand up for things. Basically it was, it was a hellhole of a trip. (laughs) (laughs) So without getting too deep into it, you know, he left, but we resolved things. We're going to stay together. Um, and that was a lot of my Thailand trip. And that's not saying that was the whole thing. I still traveled. I still had amazing experiences to your point, Jen, like, I'm so happy I did it, even though it was that, but that was kind of what, like, cracked, cracked the egg of like the whole yolk of what's going on in my inner world and why have I ignored it for so long? Um, because you have this time where you're almost undistracted because yeah, you weren't going out and partying. You weren't taking too many classes. Yeah. Um, you weren't hanging out with friends. So now you're just thinking about those things. And I think, um, just from my own experience, because I have a lot of childhood trauma myself, the way that you process those things as an adult mm-hmm. versus how you process them as a child are very different. Yeah. And so as we, we age and we reflect back, sometimes we have those experiences where we're like, whoa, actually I have a lot of feelings yeah. about that. And that wasn't right. Actually, that's really effed up. Right. Because <laughs> as a kid, you're like, no, that's just normal. Like this is just, everyone's like this. Right. And then, you know, yeah. 
go to your first you, therapy session and they're well, like, well, you don't have the life experience to know different. Exactly. You when, have nothing to compare to. I think it came up in, in our episode with um, Dr. Robin about the reason kids are resilient is because they don't know any different. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, Cause they're just, they know what they've been presented with till that point in their life. Yeah. So it's like new challenge. I guess this is just another, you know, level of the game that we're getting through of life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how long did you stay in Thailand for? You stayed I the was whole, there, for four months? Um, yeah, for four months. Um, okay. And when that ended, I always just kind of refer to this time as like my triple header of rock bottoms. That's the best way I can put it. It's, you know, this whole thing of like traveling kind of like melted in on itself. The love life stuff, we stayed together, but it was it was just a really, really toxic relationship. And similar to like being a child, like being in some of your early relationships, you don't really get what's supposed to happen and what isn't. And I just didn't realize those things that weren't supposed to happen were happening. Um, It took me a really long time to realize like, oh no, I feel bad because this is bad. I'm not just crazy. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I got back from Thailand and that's kind of where the, the third like, I don't know baseball enough to be saying a triple header. It's supposed to be like a baseball thing. I, it's like nine innings or something. I don't know. It's three games in like one day. That would yeah, be a that's what header. I thought. But yeah. anyways, the third game of yeah. rock bottoming that happened was um, I get back from Thailand. And I'm immediately thrown into um, this nonprofit job that originally like I loved. I had done in the past. It had filled me up. I was, you know, at my best. And that summer job just like absolutely ate me up and spit me out. Um, it sent me into the lowest of some of my mental health lows that I've ever had. And your girl was just a mess. And coming out of that, I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to do this after college now, because I had always been like, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to work for them for a few years and I'll figure it out from there. And at this point I was like, I don't know what's happening in my love life now. Don't know what job I'm going to do because there's no way I'm doing that. And like all these things that used to bring me joy now, I just, it's not the same. Um, So it was just this really, really hard time in my life. And that's kind of like, I bring that up because that's where this whole idea of like introspection and creating a rich inner life really began. And it wasn't out of just like, oh, a self-help book that looks like a fun read. It was like, I'm clawing my way through life right now. What can I do about it? And I just kind of felt like, I don't know, almost like that kind of energy of like necessity breeds ingenuity. Like I had to do something about it and that's where I turned and I'm so glad I did. Mm -hmm. Something that's really interesting to me about your story is because you're like, because we're, we're moms, we're in our forties, like you were in your twenties and you look back on that time or most people do. And it's probably not Mm -hmm. that way for everyone, but like, you know, I had the like ideal study abroad trip in Italy, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was the the best part of my college experience, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I feel like it's probably really like brushed off. Like, Oh, you're not old enough to really know what's hard. Yeah. Yeah. No. And we, but then sitting here now, I'm also thinking like, it's, it's pretty amazing that you were able to see, I don't know, like, again, maybe it's perspective, whatever, but like that you really were like hanging on by a thread. Cause I don't know yeah. that I would have known that at that time personally. I think like it's something that the further away from it I get and the more I reflect, I'm 
it becomes clearer mm-hmm. because it's kind of like the same thing that we were talking about with kids. Like they don't have the experience and the more experience you get, like even me, like at 24 now, like the more experience I get, you know, looking back at my experiences from when I was 20, I'm like, wow, no, that really was like bad. Like then I was right. like, this doesn't feel great. And I feel kind of depressed. And now I'm like, no, like we were in a really bad situation. We just were kind of like, I was, I always grew up and I was really good at repressing all of my emotions. So I could just kind of like muscle it through whatever. Um, going. But yeah, having that hindsight now, it's a lot easier than it was then to right. really acknowledge what was happening. So you were burnt out from this job and you were like, now what am I going to do? Yes. And funny, funnily enough, it was kind of like an out of the frying pan into the fire kind of moment as life sometimes Mm -hmm. gives us. So I, you know, decided after I finished my senior year, I wasn't going to go into working with that organization long-term, even though they had been like my pride and joy for so long. And instead that's when I found um, this other job working with a nonprofit in India. And I say it was kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire because I went from one burnt out situation to like that even more so, but it was kind of like, it was like a lot of things in life. Like there's a lot of difficult points and like hard things about it. And there's a lot of beautiful parts of the experience. And so after college, I moved to India um, and met a lot of really, really amazing people. It's, you know, those friendships you make where you know, the people for a few months, but it feels like you've known them for years. Mm-hmm. It, I was really lucky with that experience and that like, those are the kind of people I met. And I was scared because of my Thailand experience. I was like, I don't know, last time I moved somewhere. Came didn't out. go as planned. Didn't go quite so good. Am I going to be a lonely <laughs> girl in India? Got back to journals this time. Um, but I made some beautiful friends, but it just, for anyone working in a burnt out kind of overworking job. Like we were working 16 hour days. Like there were days I left the office at 2 AM for an hour long commute home. Like Mm. it was just kind of insane. And it was expected that that was just like accepted and fine. And you didn't complain. And I just always knew that that rubbed my values wrong. Like I'm a hard worker. Like, don't get me wrong. We're going to get it done. But after a while I was like, do you not see how you're just kind of treating us like animals? You know, like it Mm. just, it, it just, yeah. Didn't sit right with me. So and of course, COVID hit. Um, Were you in I, India when COVID hit? He, here's the funny part. This, I've told this story so many times during the pandemic, as we've all told our yeah, pandemic origin story. stories. Yeah, <laughs> our pandemic origin stories. I love it. <laughs> totally. Yes, absolutely. But um, so I actually came home for one of my good friend from college's weddings in February. Her wedding was the last day in February, leap day. And so I left India like February 15th or something like that. And I was packed up after the wedding, you know, it was great. And people, you know, murmurs, murmurs of COVID were around. We're like, yeah, like Corona, like the beer, haha, like it's not going to be anything bad. (laughs) And then I had two hours before my flight back to India and I was all packed. I was sitting on my back porch and one of my friends um, sends me like a WhatsApp call and he's like, Hey, like, are you still in the U S? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm not at the house because he we like live together. And he's like, okay, cool. Um, just stay there. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like things are getting a little bit crazy here in Delhi. Um, you just stay where you're at and um we'll figure it out from there. And so 
basically I have not been back to India since, but I continued working for them remotely. Um, I, that's, I, before the show we were talking and that's why I was in Dallas for a while. I was working there with some of my colleagues and then I moved back home um, and continued working for them remotely and the burnout and that kind of work culture still was present. And eventually it just, my body also, like I developed PCOS and like other kind of things from all these stress hormones in my body. So I was like, I can't keep doing this. So that's when I quit. And before that, I was like, I'm doing something on my own and we're going to figure it out from there. So it was a huge, huge now what moment, but like not just one moment, like a few months of like what is happening. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, then it's interesting that, that it all really came to that head in mm-hmm. the pandemic. I feel like it, that's it's not an uncommon story for people. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of that idea of you know, pressure making diamonds. And that's not me calling myself a diamond, but something has to happen, you know, like some kind of action had to come out of it. And I don't know, I feel like I always talk about it as like in the pandemic, everything kind of like crumbled and came to like nothing. So if you have the chance to rebuild it, why not rebuild it into something that really serves your highest self, you know, that you really love rather than just settling for the same pattern in a new, you know, color. So Mm -hmm. the pandemic, yeah, it's, I mean, I hate calling something like a pandemic, like, you know, blessing in disguise or anything of that, because it's not, but like, it's picking out those good parts of what, of all the shit that has happened basically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And then figuring out what pieces you kind of want to keep, because everything was, like you said, crumbled, right? So then what pieces do you want to pick back up and put into your life and keep? And which things do you maybe want to leave behind or change so I think it's brought a lot of people to kind of second guess themselves and I um I've also worked in nonprofit mm-hmm. and not doing quite what you were doing but I worked in uh, group homes for a number of mm-hmm. years where we work insane hours it's just yep. expected that you spend your own money on these children yeah they don't really pay you properly there's no benefits there's no sick days there's no time yep. off I remember working for this one place they had a rule I think you had to give like 24 hours notice or something if you were going to be sick which is ridiculous because sometimes wow. like you're sick like you just, just like you get you wake up sick you wake up sick, you wake yeah. up sick. like mm, you haven't given us enough notice but I'm just gonna puke all over the residents it's okay um and it really and like we weren't paid well and they Mm -hmm. completely took advantage of us and it was really like it was a lot of young people who were there who they were I think a lot of us were just in a position where we're just trying to like get ourselves established and try to get some experience and so Mm -hmm. we're working this job and we're putting up with all this crap And it absolutely leaves you feeling depleted. And even though you have the best of intentions, um, it doesn't always work out that way. And even I'm a teacher now and Mm -hmm. I see it a lot in the teaching profession. And we did um, record an episode with a teacher who talked about burnout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think Jen referenced it already, but we did an interview with a woman and she's a resiliency expert. Mm -hmm. And in that podcast episode, 
she was saying that one of the things about burnout is that it's really the result of not spending enough time in your values. Mm, and I think you kind of, she referenced about, too, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. and so it can come from working so many hours, which yeah. now means that you're not able to spend the time doing like self-care or spending time with your family or doing the things that actually really fuel you and fill your cup and that leaves us depleted that's so interesting yeah you did you did reference it in some way and I was like that's what Robin said yeah (laughs) I'm like she needs to go back she needs to go listen to that episode yeah I, I will I will and like that's so interesting too because it kind of sounds like Tisha even what you were saying with your experience with nonprofits and like I know mine as well it was like even when I loved like the concept of the work I was doing a lot of times and this isn't just a nonprofit thing but like you see it anywhere like the organization and all these other things kind of like build up in ways that kind of chip away at our almost like our sense of values like I value myself enough to not be constantly stressed of you know, all the things that are happening in my organization outside of the mission and purpose of what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. So it and is interesting how that all kind of builds up. Yeah. And I was just going to say, like when the people that are likely causing you stress, no matter how much you believe in the organization, they don't ultimately care about you as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's a really strong definition of burnout. I, like I said, I started my business as this whole burnout anti-burnout campaign and everyone's like that's an amazing idea but sign no clients doing it but <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> I never came across that definition I really like it um I'm gonna keep yeah. that one in mind yeah our values are such a guide and so you decided to go out and work for yourself and work on your own and you started as focusing on you know helping people with burnout and and as you said that didn't work out so then what where did you go from there how did you kind yeah. of transition One thing about running a business that I always talk about, I feel like it's like dog years, like one year feels like seven years. Like it just, Mm -hmm. time is different. So I think I was doing the whole like attempt at nonprofit consulting for month and a half, two months. And there just were no bites. You know, people were liking my posts and that was all fine, but there was nothing converting. And, um, in the back of my mind, like, like I had mentioned, I had already been on this self-help kind of journey. Like it had started as journaling. Um, and then when I was in my senior year, just going through a lot of it, it was actually Oprah's super soul conversations podcast became like my anchor. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but it's my favorite thing in the world. I mean, Oprah's um, pretty amazing. So that's not surprising. One of my favorites. Um, so I was already like pretty deep in this and for a lot of folks, like a lot of them go into like life coaching. So I was familiar with that space. I followed a lot of them and I've always kind of been that archetypal friend that people come to for support, for advice, for, you know, like a long empowering text, love sending them. So I was like, you know, maybe I could make something out of this. Like I already love all of this stuff. Why don't I just build a business out of it? I know I'm good at supporting people. So why don't I make it like a thing? So it had been in the back of my mind when I started my business already, but I was a little bit just insecure about it. I was like, you know, I don't want people to think I'm some 
woo-woo person who just, you know, thinks so highly of themselves that they can do this. And I had all these like judgments in my head of like what people would think of me if I did it. So that's why I didn't start with it. I was like, well, consulting, that sounds smart. It sounds professional, yada, yada. Eventually I was on a call with this one business coach and she was like, well, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you, you know, done things like applied to be on podcasts, all this? And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I was like, I do not want to do that for this business. And it finally just hit me. I was like, I'm done with this nonprofit consulting thing. It's coming from a place of bitterness, not of passion. Like I'm going to throw it to the curb and I'm going to try out the coaching. And so I did some free sessions. And after that, I booked my first client and it just felt a lot like it just kind of like felt like home. It was like, okay, like I've been doing this my whole life. And of course there's a lot more to learn around it than just like, tell me your feelings and all of that. But it wasn't, I hear a lot of stories of like, and then I did this and it all flowed perfectly. Like that has not been my experience at all with building a business, but it has in the sense of like, okay, like I know I'm damn good at this and I'm going to keep going because I know I'm helping people with what I do. So it started as coaching a little bit after that. I was like, well, I love meditating. Sometimes I record my own meditations for myself. Why don't I start posting those on Instagram? So I started doing that as well. And I had always done these, the company, the brand calls them hypnotic meditations. Now that I'm a hypnotist, I'm like, it's not really hypnosis, but they're still like, you know, giving powerful results to people. And I had done this specific type of meditation for a long time, made me very curious about hypnosis. And while I was making my business, I had gotten a lot of, a lot of anxiety around money. Like it was one of those judgments that I had piling on me. I was like, I don't want to charge people for what I do. I don't want to sound greedy. Like money is evil, all these things coming in. So I wanted to see a hypnotist. I was like, this feels so intense. Like I can't talk about it with my therapist or this or that. So I started seeing a hypnotist, absolutely loved my experience. I, it just like felt like this crazy trip in meditation. It was so cool. And after seeing her for a bit, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to jump in and invest in becoming a hypnotist too. So then I added hypnotism onto what I do as well. And yeah, now I'm here and it's been a very long journey, <laughs> but also kind of short and it's crazy, but it's, it's fun at the end of the day. It's fun. So yeah. So- how did the hypnotism help you? In a lot of ways. I don't even like know where I want to start with that question. Okay. I'm like, do I want to talk about it from being someone who's hypnotized or someone who is now a hypnotist? Basically the best way that I can explain how hypnosis helps is it gives the deepest parts of your mind, your subconscious mind, an image or an idea of what it's going to feel like to have that thing that you want in your life, you know, a feeling of more confidence, a feeling of, you know, feeling empowered with money rather than like, it's some bad thing about you feeling like you trust yourself enough to not pick up another cigarette. Like whatever those things are, it gives your brain a way to understand what that is going to feel like. Cause when you're in this very like deep trance hypnotic state, which is a place where like, mind you, you still have control. Like it's not mind control. I will just say that now. I thought it was for the longest time. It's not. I mean, you don't want make people walk around naked or something. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, no, you know, (laughs) can't do that. Um, But it's so funny. People are always like, but I saw this guy at my college and these people did this. I'm like, I mean, you can do that, but it's, it's 
a lot to explain, but more of the story gives your brain an idea of like, what is that thing going to feel like when I have it? If our brains can't understand what something in the future is going to emotionally feel like, we're going to resist that experience a lot more because there's no sense of familiarity. And that's how our brains create safety. Like if I, I know what coming on a podcast for the most part is going to feel like, like it's a little new. I haven't met Tisha and Jen before and they are lovely. But I, I could predict that well enough to come on here today and not, you know, fall into like self-sabotaging behaviors, negative thought patterns, and just, you know, totally ignore the call itself or something. I don't know. Be right. like, sorry guys, can't chat. Bye. Because I have that sense of familiarity, it's easier for me to go into the experience. If it's something where my brain is like, I don't know what that's going to feel like. Take me a few months ago with making money. Like, I don't know what it's going to feel like to really like accept money from people for what I do. Like, am I going to feel greedy? Does that mean I'm wrong? When our brain can go to those places of like, that's not a safe thing. It's going to resist that experience entirely. Um, Whether through just negative thinking, old beliefs coming up or like legitimate action to avoid that thing. So hypnosis is a way to let your brain know, hey, here's what this thing in the future is going to feel like. And to start training your brain to have that experience so that it's easier to bring into your conscious day-to-day life. Because the subconscious, those deep layers of brain that we get to with hypnosis doesn't really know the difference between imagination and reality, like fantasy and reality. It's why if you have a nightmare, you wake up you know, crying, or when you watch a horror movie, you jump because your subconscious mind is activated at the, it's always active, but it's what's more forward, more so than your conscious mind. And so you react as though it's really happening to you, even if it's just on the TV or even if it's just what the hypnotist is leading you through in session. So it's a bit of a rant on how it works, but that's in essence how it's helped me. And I can go deeper into like what I worked through as well, but I wanted to kind of start there because. Yeah. 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 That's very helpful because I think, as you said, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I know someone who like, I I went to the show in college and there was this guy and and I went to one of those too when I was in college and there was this guy who made people do all these crazy things and it was hilarious and so much fun. So we don't really think of it in terms of personal development. Yeah. Often. It's such a shame because it's seriously a tool like that can be used for so, so much. Yeah, the state that I will say, people always ask me this. They're like, well, is that stuff at college real? And I'm like, it is real. Like, it's a real thing. Like, they're really in hypnosis. But in order, like, if I did a session with y'all, you have to want to go to that next level of hypnosis. Like, I can't make you want to go deeper into hypnosis. I, for example, am super analytical. My conscious mind, even when I get deep in there, is still like, hey, we're feeling kind of relaxed. Are we too relaxed? What's happening? I don't think that would be me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Like you're still hypnotizable, but if you get a certain level deep and they're like, okay, now your right arm is floating, it's floating. And now you're like a duck. You're probably going to be like, no, I mean, I'm relaxed, but you know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. At least that's been my own experience. And they normally do them on college campuses because I'm just like debunking all of hypnosis, sorry. But they do them on college campuses because everyone there is younger and they want to impress everyone and they don't want to do something wrong. So they're, they're going to do what, wrong. yeah. You normally don't see them bringing older people on stage, so. That's true, I never thought about that. So, um, scenes. Um, when you were talking about it, it seems like it could be beneficial with trauma too. Cause it sounds a lot like it's like, 
about like opening up your mind mm-hmm. really right like letting yeah. you access access parts of your brain that you can't like probably readily yes so there's a specific type of hypnosis called age regression where you, you know, if you've ever heard of like inner child healing, it's mm. kind of going back to like those old traumatic memories, you know, in childhood and revisiting them and attempting to kind of like release whatever that emotion is there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also find healing and like empowerment in it of like, okay, like this happened when I was a kid and I understand it from this vantage point now. Mm-hmm. I will allow myself to feel those feelings that I restricted when I was a kid because they were scary and they were too big. And also I can watch it from a sense of like my older self, my higher self, you know, however you want to look at it, like defending my younger self or saying like, this was all like effed up. And I like, do not accept that for me or for anyone to treat me that way, you know? So yeah, it's done a lot with trauma and that's one of the older forms of hypnosis. And a lot of that, like Freud would do a lot of hypnosis stuff and like find repressed memories and Um, I was actually reading about it recently in a psych book. Um, I was like, oh, all of my reading is just converging together. But (laughs) it's very, very interesting in that way. I will say, though, all of that kind of stuff, definitely like working with a therapist in conjunction or other things as well is so important. Um, But yeah, no, it's can be used for so much. Mm -hmm. And so is one of the things that you were able to overcome, you made reference a lot to like, your feelings around money and asking for money and I don't know, maybe feeling like you deserve money and that it's not yeah, necessarily evil. Yeah. I, I had a lot of very, um, I think on the first, first side of it, like asking people to pay you for something, I, I don't know, maybe it's kind of like a woman in the patriarchy thing maybe it's growing up in the church kind of thing. I don't really know, just a self-esteem thing, but it was very scary for me trying to like set a monetary figure on what I did. Um, It just didn't come easily to me. So that was one layer of it. There was another layer of like, you know, I think a lot of the times people, and I just will say like, I had a lot of judgments towards a lot of rich people in my life. I felt like they were out of touch or arrogant or greedy, and I didn't want to become that. So something else about the mind is it's kind of lazy. It doesn't like to see nuance. It'll just kind of see black and white, you know, like either you're rich and you're evil, or you're like poor and you will inherit the earth. Like my, you know, Catholic school taught me. And I'm like, well, I guess that's the good moral thing to be. It's evil to be rich then. Um, And my mind could then like make evidence of that of like, oh, well, you're one, you know, that person, you know, sucked. And then this person was also, you know, really mean and greedy. So you don't want to be that. And so I just had a lot of that conditioning of like money is evil. Money is, you know, going to make you this evil Jeff Bezos capitalist person if you want it. And I definitely had a lot of that, like, you have to be good to be lovable kind of conditioning and good was a very small window of things from just like growing up in the church and like a lot of even growing up a dancer. I grew up dancing and like, got to be perfect. Got to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. The money was just another way that I could be like, I will be the most moral, pious version of myself and then I'll be loved. And unfortunately, you can't run a business doing that. So I had to get over <laughs> a lot of my crap 
And since then, like I've done a lot of reading and a lot of deconditioning in my own work and through hypnosis and through a lot of self-hypnosis and it's honestly, it's just a tool like anything else. You know, some people like to call it an energy or this or that, but it's really just a tool and it's doesn't need to be such a taboo thing. It doesn't need to be so hard to talk about all the time, but the way that we make it in society, it makes sense that it is hard. Well, yeah, I think, I think it is in part, I think common for female entrepreneurs specifically, you know, because typically someone else is defining your worth. You're in a very rarely position where you have to set your worth. Right. Um, Yeah. I actually make, um, when I've hired sitters that are like high school age, I make them tell me their rate. Mm. <laughs> I do. Like our, our very first mother's helper, she was 10 or 11. And I like, I said to her mom, like when we were setting it up, I'm like, I'm going to ask her what her, what she charges. I'm like, you can like have the conversation and tell her what she, like whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I think this is an important conversation for her to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Because my dad yeah. tried to make me do it and I always like rejected it. And so I've really <laughs> messed up things about money. So I just want to try to help other people not have that. <laughs> I love, that's so smart. That's a good way yeah. to add that in at a young age. You got to like put that out there. So as part of your kind of journey to where you are today, you mentioned that you use journaling, mm-hmm. hypnosis, meditation. Therapy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that I'm missing? Yeah, there, there, I got a few things on the menu. Um, <laughs> I um, I did, I, in college, I went to therapy for a bit. And when I started, a few months after I started my business, I started seeing a therapist again, which was such a beautiful decision. Hypnosis. I saw a Reiki healer a few times. That was interesting. I've dabbled in a lot of stuff, but honestly, like at the end of the day, I always come back to journaling open, honest conversation that can be with a therapist, a coach, a good friend. And mm-hmm. did I say meditate, journaling, meditation, and like conversation, basically like it, yeah, it, those it, are your core simple. ones. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really what it all, all of these modalities, in my opinion, are just kind of different versions of that. And it's all about us kind of finding what works best to, for us in our season of life whether we're at like the now what pivot or we're just thriving or in some kind of gray in between. Mm -hmm. And And so go ahead, Jen. No, you go ahead. I was going to ask about your, so in your business, I'm literally looking at your website right now (laughs) as we're talking. So I do, I saw that you have the coaching and hypnosis and you have meditation courses as well that you do. Yes. Um, so I have a meditation course out. It was the first, first course I launched. I love it, but it's like a beginner's meditation course. A, mm-hmm. I hate meditating, but I really feel like I'm supposed to start it kind of course. Um, that's who it's made for. And I love it for that, but I actually have, um, a number of hypnosis offerings out right now outside of working one-on-one with me that are structured like courses, um, that I've just released. Um, one is called the kit and it's my new hypnosis library. It's like a membership program essentially. And you get access to like dozens of hypnosis recordings for, well, it's in its beta month. So I won't say the price, but basically you get ongoing access to all of these recordings. And I'm very excited about it. I just launched it two weeks ago. So it's oh, not that's on my exciting. Website. Congratulations. Okay. 
<laughs> I, I saw something on there somewhere, I think earlier today, somewhere on your website about um, like negative self-talk, because this mm. is something that I kind of struggle with. And I had written a post about it myself, about negative self-talk yeah. and like me trying to overcome that. And then I saw that on your side. I was like, ooh, I want to talk to her about this. <laughs> Negative self-talk is a real one. Something I've been doing a lot recently to play with that whole idea of negative self-talk and where it comes from. And we've talked a lot about like childhood trauma, like as a subject. I think one thing that's always interesting to bring up is how our negative self-talk is normally the way we were talked to as children now just kind of like repeating in our heads over yeah. and over again yeah and I remember I think that was kind of like one of those revelations I had in Thailand I was like oh I was like these people in my life are just replicas of you know this person in my childhood who like bullied me or like you know this caregiver and that kind of stuff it was very interesting um but negative self-talk is a real one and that's normally I like to think of it as like the beliefs are kind of like the roots in our subconscious and negative self-talk are kind of, is like the little flares that come up from those. Like it's all rooted in some kind of belief. And when we are able to kind of overcome those beliefs of like, I'm not worthy, I'm not, you know, pretty, I'm to this, I'm to that. We hear that in our thoughts, but it's coming from this like deeply rooted place, which stinks. And that's something that like through all of this, like self-help work is how you begin to overcome it. Um, but it's never, you know, like we were kind of talking about before we started, like, I don't know. One thing I was about to say, one thing I like about it, even though it's what makes it hard is like, it's not just a night and day journey. Like all of this is just a spectrum of like moving forward and progressing and then kind of, you know, having a moment where like all of the old shit comes back and comes back to life. And you're like, have I made any progress? And it's like, hell yeah, you have, because now you're aware of all this old shit and you can keep moving. And I think negative thoughts are a way that we can kind of track that progression and that movement and how active they are and how much they come up. Um, Cause they're hard. They're, mm-hmm. they're yeah. hard. Yeah. This is uh, almost like exactly, well, what I was posting about was like, oh, I work yeah. so, I work so hard to like try and overcome this, but sometimes it still creeps up on me. Mm-hmm. And I still have those moments where I feel like I'm not good enough and that I'm a failure and all of this other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, no. And like, I will say, like, I work in this space. It's like my job to be on top of my inner world. And I have that all the time, you know, like, I just think sometimes that's a way that like media in, in some regards, makes us think it's not supposed to be like that. Like, it's like, you're either healed or you're not as if it's like, this there's, kind of thing that flops. well, there's really no being completely healed. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think a good way to like, I think the closest I've seen myself of like being healed from something is like, do old, like how do old triggers affect me? I think that's a great kind of temperature check, but sometimes I think we think healing is amnesia. Like, it's like, oh, that never happened. Like forgiveness is amnesia. Like, oh no, no, no. Like love and light. Like that, (laughs) they didn't gaslight me for two years. That didn't happen. Right. Like you can forgive them. Like you can be like, no, it's good. But that doesn't just go away. And I think 
that it's not meant to, like we're meant to learn, we're meant to take and glean from our experiences mm-hmm. so we can be more resilient the next time and have a little bit better of a vantage point and a view for the next point. And I think to your point, Tisha, of what you're saying, like it's the same when old habits come up. It's like, all right, this is happening again. Like these old thoughts are coming up. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, um, this one uh, self-help I don't really know what she is. She just makes beautiful reels on Instagram talking to her higher self. Her name's Bunny Michael, but she put it so beautifully of like, of course you're still healing, but, and you're still having the same reaction, but now you have the awareness of the reaction. And that's Mm -hmm. so much growth in itself because then in the past, it was like, I'm just going to go on my downward spiral. That's that. Now it's like, I'm going on a downward spiral. Huh? what's happening here? And maybe I won't hit bottom or maybe I can pull myself out of it. Yeah. I think I love the way you put it that like forgiveness is amnesia or healing is amnesia. Um, just cause you know, uh, my, my story is dealing with, uh, you know, traumatic loss and like, Mm. you know, parenting my kids in a pandemic after their dad died Mm. and, you know, all of these things. And there's this sense that like once you get through that first year, you're good. Yeah. And you're it's great. like, yeah, that doesn't no. happen. <laughs> you know, like, and even for my little ones, like mm. it was past year and the beginning of school year last year, one of his friends, he took the ball, my, my son took the ball from him. He goes, I'm going to tell your mom and dad. That's not going to affect him 99% of the time. But on that day, because mm. he said, I'm going to tell your mom and dad made him lose it. Yeah. You know, and it's because you like, it's just, you're changed when things go through things, right? And that doesn't mean that you can't get to a good place and that you're not healing. But that's kind of why I said like, you're never completely healed. Or if you are, it doesn't mean it didn't happen and it didn't change you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I just, I always kind of come back to the thing of media just because I know it was really like negatively influential in my journey of like making me think I was supposed to be totally healed or like that my process was supposed to be, you know, you take six months to lick your wounds after a breakup, after this, after that, and then you're good. But I think it's just, we're kind of uncomfortable with that gray area of like, no, I don't know if I'll be totally healed. No, I don't know if I'll stop thinking about this person. No, I don't know that. And that's part of my humanity and that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean my life's defined by that, but it does mean that I have valid feelings and emotions that I need supported by those I love. And I don't need people to expect me to be perfect in my healing process. So yeah, it's just, Mm -hmm. I think it's very important that kind of embracing the gray area of healing. Well, yeah. And, and healing. And again, the idea that healing doesn't mean you're going to go back to who you were before whatever you're healing from. I right. think that's a big misconception too. Um, yeah. That I think, I mean, Tisha and I can both speak to, I think even in like the space of becoming like a mom, mm-hmm. you know, like there's this sense that you're going to be who you were before and you're, you're just, you're not. Yeah. And that's okay. And that person, you know, is still there in some way, but it's one of those events in your life as wonderful as it is, it changes you. Yeah. There's, it's, it's like, I don't know if you guys like Phantom of the Opera, um, (laughs) probably why weirdly, like I liked it as a kid. And I think he like kind of hypnotizes her in a mind controlly way. 
and I put to, I was listening to past the point of no return the other day. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like hypnosis. But to your point, it's like a past the point of no return kind of thing. It's like, yeah, this is an irreversibly changeable thing in my life. And that's not bad, but like, and it's not so much like this is my identity now, but like I am changed and I can really embrace that and Mm -hmm. let that be true rather than be something that's not supposed to happen, I guess, or feel shame about. Yeah. Or smiling through the hard stuff when maybe you just don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like you said, a lot of us, we see it as black and white and then we're Mm -hmm. in this gray area that we sort of beat ourselves up about because we're not fully healed, but are we ever fully healed? And how do we learn to kind of accept that, that part of our selves? Yeah. Um, and you had written something, I think, in your application about, like, self-love mm-hmm. and teaching women to love themselves. Yeah. 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 I think at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I think one of the most formative I have no idea how relatable this will be. I haven't told this story before um, on a podcast, but I think one of the most formative moments in my own healing journey, you know, if I just call it that, is I just, I had really struggled with self-esteem throughout my life. And, you know, like we've been talking about, I still have my moments, don't get me wrong, but I was really just like flourishing in this idea that I just this feeling like I didn't like myself and I don't even know what happened, but one day I was just kind of in some kind of inner turmoil of, you know, feeling not good enough, not this, like yada, yada. And I had the most logical moment of like, okay, do I like the person I am? Do I like how I present in situations, my personality traits, all this? And I was like, yeah, I do. And my brain, my higher self, whatever you want to call it, was just kind of like, okay, can you stop with this then? Like, can you just decide that you like yourself? And I was like, I guess I do. (laughs) And ever since then, like I still struggle with confidence with a lot of things, but I have not wavered on the fact that I just like myself. And because I like myself, I can really love myself. But yeah, that story was kind of like my origin story of how I came to really, I feel like dive into a deeper sense of self-love that wasn't just like, pasting, you know, to your point of what you're saying earlier, Jen, like putting a happy face on shit that didn't feel good. Um, but I was thinking about this earlier for the kit, which I mentioned earlier, my hypnosis and meditation library. I also include different lessons and one of them is on self-love and there's a whole section of meditations and hypnosis on self-love. But I do think like self-love is when we can really to use what we've been talking about, like accept that gray area of who we are. Like some days we are this, you know, bright, beautiful butterfly. Some days we are in the cocoon. Some days we are functioning from like our highest selves, you know, being responsive and not reactive and being helpful and all these beautiful things. And some days we are in pits of reactivity being our worse selves, honestly. <laughs> I feel <laughs> well, like on some days we go between the two and the same exactly. day. Yeah. And like, I feel like self-love is just understanding and really like embracing the fact that like, so corny, like, I feel like I'm reading a Pinterest quote, but like being human is messy. Like it's this kind of like oscillating wave all the time. And no matter how much we want it to be this calm, straight line, like 
I don't really think that that's what we're made for. You know, how are you going to learn in that way? And so to me, self-love boils down to that acceptance. It, it always kind of boils down to that like little recipe, you know, cocktail of acceptance and compassion for ourselves and just knowing mm-hmm. like we all just want to be loved and it kind of starts with giving that to yourself yeah. no matter where you're at. Yeah. And I love that that you mentioned like having compassion for yourself and accepting yourself for, you know, in even the messy parts. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it, I feel like it aligns like we often talk about. I, I definitely do just because um, grief is such an uncomfortable thing for people, like yeah. getting people comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and like yeah. kind of prior to my own, you know, Uh, loss and trauma. I I used to have a sign here at the house that said, welcome to our beautiful chaos, because Mm -hmm. that's what like life is. Yeah. And there's so often, I feel like Tisha, you, you especially like experienced this where I always fought against it, but like striving for perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, and I like the one thing I know that was something, well, and you definitely put it on, you know, when we first were friends that you were, Um, but (laughs) I think because it was something that my, like, you know, just differences in childhood, you know, I felt like that's what my parents wanted from us. Like this perfect little, like, you know, nuclear family. Yep. Same. But I was like, yeah, no, I'm not that. I'm not perfect. Like even when my, my kids were babies and, you know, people hold a baby, they're like, oh, they're so perfect. I'm like, no, they're not. I go, he doesn't sleep. Don't put that on them. Okay. <laughs> well, well, and at that point, like he wasn't, he didn't sleep. Yeah. He didn't let me sleep. He's yeah. not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? He's never, and he's never going to be perfect. And that doesn't mean he's yeah. not lovable or whatever, but like right. nothing in this life is perfect. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting, the pressure that we put on ourselves that we, that we glean from the media and Instagram and yeah. what have you is this idea of like perfection being idealized and like the goal when yeah. it's impossible. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like, beating against like an endless current trying to be perfect like oh that's a hard one that's that's been there I have some serious perfectionist tendencies that I am have been working really hard to try to undo and um for sure some of it comes from like the media and what we see and for me like unlike Jen I don't know that I really had somebody who wanted me to be perfect I think that my youth was so kind of tumultuous that I saw, you know, families on TV or my friends' houses or whatever. And I wanted that. Mm. I wanted what was being portrayed to me. And of course you only see, you go to your friend's house for dinner. You only see people on their best behavior. You don't really know what's going on. in their home or what their real family dynamic is. But just those pieces and those little memos that I had picked up along the way is what I kind of was striving for. And I think I worked really hard to get myself to like a stable place and definitely had some perfectionist tendencies. Like I did very well in school and I always got good grades and I worked really Mm -hmm. hard, but becoming a parent Mm. just amplified that need for me to Mm -hmm. like want to be everything and I think that's also when it kind of 
stopped serving me as well because getting good grades served me well for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. High functioning <laughs> perfectionism, you know, like not high functioning anxiety. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's turning around for the good. Like, you know, it's working yeah. in my favor. It yeah. works for a while. It absolutely works for a while until it stops yeah. working. It makes and you then, think that it's just going to keep work. Like, you know, it's like, come, come be my friend, be my little yeah. friend. I'm but not. then I do that whole, you know, when I'm not perfect because I'm not, because I'm yeah. human, then I do that whole negative self-talk yep. and it becomes this right sort of a cycle, right? Right. And, you know, one thing when we were talking about self-talk that, came to mind originally when I started talking, that's what I meant to say. And then I totally forgot, but sometimes it's really fun to like personify your negative self-talk. And I've, I personally realized like literally like giving it like a character, like giving it a name, drawing it out if you feel. And I realized with mine that mine was like half this like evil dark character. I don't know if any of you have seen the Babadook on Netflix, but it's a scary movie. It's this creepy Thing that lives in the basement. I was like, half of mine is like Lady Babadook. And the other half is just the perfect version of me. She's just mocking me and asking me why I'm not her. And it, <laughs> it was such a breakthrough for me to realize that that part of me wasn't like my ambition. It wasn't, you know, my need for more. It was literally just my inner critic taking on a different character. So it could fool me into thinking like, it wasn't just another form of negative self-talk. And I realized that like a month ago, I was like, oh, and I knew I was a perfectionist, but it it's so nuanced sometimes how these things yeah. come into our lives and convince us we're supposed to be, you know, different than we are. Um, so yeah, yeah, fun activity to do. It's a fun one. I have my drawing. I put it on my Instagram story and I was like, no one needed to see that. I should <laughs> You well, drew we- it? I love it. I, I well, literally did, drew it out. Yeah. We did that in um, family therapy, our, our, oh, our anger monster. It was our yeah, our anger monster. Like I had a monster. Um, one, one of the boys had a crab. I forget what the other one was, but it was like, draw what your anger looks like if it's a creature or monster or something. So yeah. So, yeah. So I think, okay. but it is. Homework. It's, Everyone who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> Your negative, the little one that sits here. Your self-critic. Yeah. Your inner critic. <laughs> so much easier. It's so much easier for me to be like Mrs. Babadook. And like, I don't really have, a, I don't remember what I named perfect Emma, but she doesn't even look like me. She's just, she's, oh, she's the worst. Anyways. I like, well, I like, I like Mrs. Babadook better than her. This was an amazing talk. I yeah. mean, I'm, I feel like we've like covered everything. Yeah. But I don't know if like there's if there's one thing you'd want like someone to take away from your story, your journey, what would you want that to be? Hmm. Yeah. I feel like my brain was just bombarded with different um like, <laughs> ideas. Like yeah. bless this mess came into my mind. But if we <laughs> extrapolate, if we extrapolate on bless this mess, I think at the end of the day, like as I said, when I started, like my thing is like helping people be happier being themselves. And like, I think the biggest part of that is accepting that you're human and accepting that you're going to have highs and lows and you're going to have a lot of space in between. And all of that is okay. It took me a really, really long time to like realize I was allowed to feel sad emotions or, you know, I was allowed to be angry 
but I'm also allowed to be really happy and I'm allowed to love my life. Like, I don't know, just give yourself the permission, I guess, to feel what you're feeling and validate that within yourself, I think is what was hardest and most formative for me to learn. So if I could impart that on others, it would be a great joy. So yeah. I would say that. Absolutely. Yay. Thank you so it. much. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you guys. This has been such a lovely conversation and thank yeah. you for what you do yeah. with this podcast. It's so Thank funny. you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.